Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10am service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us. And check out our website at mpbc.org.au. Ephesians 2 verse 10 For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this is the last uh, sermon in this series on, what it, uh, on a fruitful church, to be a fruitful church. And um, yeah, so today the title of the sermon is uh, to be a fruitful church. A fruitful church is a servant-making church or a servant-making community. So each of us, um, each of us will put on, I've got to actually, sorry, get my clicker. Each of us will put on uh, the earth to glorify God and to make a contribution. We weren't created just to eat, breathe, consume uh, and die. Today there are many books and podcasts that tell us how to get more out of life. But that's not why you were created. You were actually created to glorify God and to serve God and to serve the community in which you live. And so serving is actually a very strong theme throughout the scripture. Uh, and followers of Jesus are actually called to serve rather than be served. Serving God and serving people with our talents, skills and gifts is what we're called to be and do. Jesus uh, is an example to us of this. And in fact, in Matthew chapter, chapter 20, verse 28, Jesus says that he came not to be served, but to serve which he did for, for us by giving up his life. The Apostle Paul picks up uh, Jesus' servant nature in a number of his writings. And in Philippians uh, chapter 2, verses 5 to 8, which is a beautiful uh, hymn or a song uh, about, the, about Jesus, about Christ, uh, Paul says that we'd have the same mind as Christ, who though he was in the form of God, didn't regard equality with God as something to be grasped or to be exploited, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave or taking on this form of a servant. Now we see this same attitude uh, at work in the Antiochian church. It's no surprise that they had this attitude since Paul and Barnabas were there teaching them and they, uh, they taught them everything that uh, they knew about Jesus and what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. And so the Antiochians saw themselves prim primarily, when they, when they understood themselves and what they were meant to be, they understood themselves primarily uh, to be servants of Jesus Christ. And so they sought to do this in every way. So they, they had a posture and purpose of being servants, both individually and both, as, as well as corporately. So in order for us to be a, a, a fruitful church, we also need to have a posture and, pur and purpose of servants. And we need to be a servant-making community, just like the church in Antioch. And so there are, there are several ways in which the church in Antioch became a servant-making community. And the first way that they became a servant-making community was that they believed that everyone is saved to serve. You see, in Antioch, it wasn't just some uh, Christians who served and ministered. There was an expectation that everyone 
uh, was in service of the king. Another word that we use for serving, and it's often misunderstood, is the word ministry. And so when some people hear the word ministry, they, uh, they think, oh, oh yeah, that's what, the, that's what the pastor does. Yep. Uh, and, uh, or it's something that only trained people do. It's some, something that only a person with an official title or job does in a church. But in the, uh, in the Antioch church, we have, a, we have lots of different varieties of followers of, or different followers of Jesus and they're all serving and ministering in different ways. You see, the, the community was mobilised to use uh, their, their talents and their skills and their gifts to glorify God and to serve their own community but also the city around them. In fact, the Antioch church was started by, as I mentioned previously, some unnamed followers of Jesus. I love that, that they're not named. They weren't, uh, they weren't any of the 12 official apostles. They stayed back in Jerusalem. These were regular men and women who had a desire to share their hope in Jesus with people who didn't yet know Jesus and to serve the community in which they lived. So service and ministry are not understood in Antioch as, as a sort of uh, an add-on for uh, the ex- extra spiritual people or the super spiritual people. These were ordinary followers of Jesus who were just following the example of Jesus in serving God and serving the people and community in which they lived. The Bible teaches that we are not saved though by our service, but in fact we are, we are saved for service. In, in 2 Timothy 1.9, uh, Paul says to Timothy that Christ saved us and called us to his, hol- his holy work. To the Ephesians, um, Paul says that we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Service then is not something for the select few, but is a part of the Christian life, just like prayer is, just like worship is, just like uh, coming to, to this corporate sort of worship is. Not something just for a few. Um, and so our service is also not done because we feel guilty. Oh, I should do that because I'm, you know, I'm such a bad person or something like that. That's not the attitude. Actually, service springs from a grateful heart for what God has done for us and because we want others also to experience the same love and peace and joy and hope and mercy of God as we have as well. There's a, uh, in Victor Hugo's book, Le Miserable, there's a beautiful picture of service that comes from a grateful heart. I'm not sure if you know the, know the, know the story or read it or seen the film, uh, but the main character in Hugo's book is Jean Valjean, who's a convict. And he's, Jean Valjean's been released from prison. And uh, he's, he's a rough character and his life had obviously gone off the rails. And though he's released from prison, he still has to wear prison clothes or some sort of identification mark that shows him as a, as a prisoner, which you can imagine inhibits him getting a job and finding a way to live. And so he finds himself in really tough times. And so he's really hungry. And so what he does, instead of, he goes, and, uh, he goes to the bishop's house and begs the bishop for some food. But the kindly bishop, he doesn't just stand at the door and say, oh, here's a bit of food, 
off you go. What he does is he invites Jean Valjean into his house and uh, invites him to a meal. And he doesn't just give it on a plastic plate, he actually gives him the, puts out the best crockery, the best cutlery, which is silver, and then he serves a meal uh, to him, much to the sort of amazement of his housekeeper. And, uh, and then after the meal, he gives Jean Valjean a bed and Jean Valjean goes to bed. But in the middle of the night, Jean Valjean wakes up and he steals the silver cutlery and he runs off and uh, he uh, escapes out of town. But the next day, the police stop Jean Valjean and they you know, obviously see that he's a prisoner or an ex-convict and they discover the silverware. And, they don't, and he says to them, oh, the bishop gave it to me. <laughs> But they, they don't believe him, of course, and so they take him back to the bishop's house and they knock on the door and the bishop opens it and they, they say, oh, we've caught this man, Jean Valjean, and he has his silverware and he says that you gave it to him. And the bishop said, yes, I did. But he forgot to take the silver candlesticks as well. And he takes the silver candlesticks, which were worth a lot of money, and he hands them to Jean Valjean. And Jean Valjean is just stunned into silence. And, and the priest draws close to Jean Valjean and he says to him, Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil but to good. It is your soul that I buy from you and I give it to God. You see, Jean Valjean's given another chance by the priest and ultimately he's given another chance by God and, and it's a transforming moment in his life. And the story, the rest of the story of Le Miserable is about Jean Valjean spending the remaining part of his life serving the poor and the needy, not because he feels guilty, but because of the great gratitude that he feels. Jean Valjean understood the cost of his own redemption and he knew that his purpose in life was not just to squander his riches or his skills or his talents on himself, but to use everything that he was and everything that he had in service of God and service of people. If we think about it, all of us are like Jean Valjean. We're all sinners, we've all, but we've all encountered or God's grace. We've encountered God's grace and God's grace is available for all of us. His mercy is available for all of us. And then I encourage you this morning that your response be like Jean Valjean. That it, that it should be one of gratefulness and should be one where you have a desire to spend your life serving the king. A couple of generations ago, uh, the church in Donacle in South India, in Telangana State, grew like the church in Antioch. And the leader of the church, his, his name was Bishop V.S. Azaria. And he tried to implement many of the... Uh, many of the characteristics that he saw in the church in Antioch. And then Azaria would actually baptise people. He would baptise them. He'd go around baptising people in rivers and pools. And at the climax of every baptismal service, uh, he would ask the Christians who were being baptised to place their hands on their heads. And then he would ask them to repeat a vow, saying that they would preach the gospel with their lives wherever they went. Baptism then was more than just a ceremony, it actually became a commissioning service for grassroots evangelism and service by every person that was in the church. 
And so with every person commissioned into service and into ministry, it's no surprise that the church in Donegal in South India just grew like a wildfire. In some churches today in China, they actually welcome new believers with this saying. They say, Jesus now has a new pair of eyes to see with, new ears to listen with, new hands to help with, and a new heart, of lo- heart to love others with. Service then is not just something for a few like Jean Valjean, or for the early church, or for the church in South India. Understanding that we are saved to serve is something that all Christians need to understand and practice today as well. I was reading a book this week by a, uh, by a guy by the name of Michael Green, and uh, he was an author and professor uh, at Regent College in, in Canada. And he was visiting a church one day, and it was a large church. There were about 800 people in attendance in the first afternoon or evening service. And this was followed by another service when about 150 young people gathered. And uh, he thought, wow, this is really exciting. This is really booming. And he sat down with the pastor and he asked him, what's, what's your secret? And the pastor said, well, we've got a lot of staff but he said, it's actually not the, this growth that we're seeing is not because of the professional people who are employed in this church. It's not because of the leaders. He said, what, what you're seeing here, he says, is because of the ordinary men and women who meet here each week. You see, he says, our church actually has 600 members. There are 800 there on that day. But he says, our church actually has 600 members. And out of that... 600 members, out of those 600 people, 580 of them have clearly defined ministries which they undertake each week inside and outside the church. Here at Mooney Ponds Baptist, there are many opportunities to serve. There are many opportunities to serve as there are people in this congregation. In fact, there are more. And if we're to be a fruitful church, each of us needs to play our part. Each role or ministry is important to the whole community in the same way that each part of your body is important to your body so that your body functions correctly. If your foot says, nah, I'm not standing today, well, you ain't going anywhere. Or your, your eyes say, oh, I'm not going to see today. Or your nasal hairs, now these are probably important, Karen could probably tell us at this time, but your nasal hairs they're important right now because they're actually filtering out, filtering out a whole lot of stuff that's around in the air. And if they say, well, I'm not working today, well, you're in trouble. But you might say, oh, but I can't, I can't preach or I can't sing. But there are many ways to serve. You come here on a Monday night when we're functioning, uh, you'll see people serving by cooking, by chatting, by cleaning up to many, of the, many people who are less fortunate than we are here today. You come here throughout the week, you'll find people fixing doors, fixing locks, putting out rubbish so that we can meet in this building and worship as we do and do the other things that we do together. You go around to our suburbs throughout the week and you'll find people in this community, this church, hosting small groups, leading Bible studies. These aren't people's full-time jobs. These people, though, know that they are saved to serve and do it because they're grateful for what God has done for them. Friends, if we want to be a fruitful church, then each of us needs to recognise that we're all saved to serve. 
the Antiochian church took the idea of everyone being a servant seriously and, and so they're also a church that equips people for service. And so this is the second characteristic uh, of a servant-making community is that they equipped people for service. So we're told in, in, uh, in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, that Paul and Barnabas met with the church for a whole year, teaching them about who Jesus is and what following Jesus is all about. And so after this period of a year of teaching, the people in Antioch, in that church, were actually called Christ ones. Okay, That's what Christians is, Christ ones. The people of Christ. And so this name wasn't a coincidence. It wasn't given because they'd put a sign outside their little house where they were meeting that says, Christ ones meet here. They, uh, they were called Christ ones because they were known for talking about Jesus and they were known for doing what things that Jesus did. They didn't just do this to... Fi- uh, sorry... Uh, Paul and Barnabas um, actually dedicated themselves to teaching the new believers everything they knew about Jesus and what it meant to follow him. But this teaching wasn't just to fill their heads with knowledge. Paul and Barnabas taught the Antiochian believers because they wanted them to come to know Christ fully and to be equipped to be servants of the king. Paul and Barnabas took Jesus' command to make disciples in Matthew 28 seriously and I believe we need to do the same as well. Now Paul and Barnabas, as we know, if we've, we've sort of wrestled with this text a little bit over the past few weeks, they were outsiders, they were actually visitors to Antioch. Paul was from Tarsus, uh, uh, Barnabas was originally from Cyprus but had been living in Jerusalem. Uh, so they weren't going to stay in Antioch forever. Paul and Barnabas knew this. And the Antiochian believers also had this understanding as well. And so I think that understanding that Paul and Barnabas were there only temporarily actually helped them grow and become equipped for service. And I think it made for a very rich learning experience. You see, when you know that someone has something important to say and they only have a limited amount of time to say it, then it makes a difference to the person and what they tell you, but also it makes a difference in how you actually listen and engage with what that person's telling you. See, the Antiochian believers were equipped in a really very short time to be ministers, to be servants. In Acts 13.1, we read that God raised up people in their congregation who were teachers and prophets. That was only after a year or so. A few weeks ago, uh, Wendy and I uh, had our internet um, uh, changed over to the MBN. And uh, I don't know, I always find that a really stressful time when, when they do this. But uh, when the time for changeover came, they actually sent me some new hardware, two bits of hardware this time, not just one, a box and who knows what it does and, uh, and a wireless modem. All you sort of IT boffins out there would be thinking, oh yeah, yeah, I know what that is. Anyway, I got the two new gadgets and I rang the internet provider and and thought, you know, okay, here I am, rung you. When are you going to send out the guy, you know, or the gal? I don't care. Just send someone out and um, to connect it up. And then they told me over the phone, oh, we're not sending anyone out. You've got to do it yourself. I thought, ah. 
Now, I started to go into this big, long story oh, about all my previous experiences of, you know, wrestling for days and hours with, with, with connect-out wireless modems and stuff and how it was complete failure and all that stuff. Anyway, he wasn't listening. Um, and uh, he wanted me to sort of, he wanted to help me do it over the phone right there and then. I said, look, I can't do it right now because there's some people staying in my house and they're working on the internet and so it's stable. Um, and I think to myself, oh, I don't have a whole afternoon to do this. So I said, look, I'm going to do it on another day when it's my day off because then I'll have like eight hours to sort of dedicate to this. And I was just about to hang up and he said, well, look, he says, you're going to have to do it yourself, but let me talk you through the process. And so when that day comes, you can do it. So I reluctantly agreed. And so I said, oh, hang on. And I started taking some notes. And he rattled off what I needed to do. Bang, 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 bang. And then he gave me an opportunity to repeat it back. And I did. And he said, yep, you're fine. So anyway, I waited, said to Wendy, day off. That's what I'm going to dedicate my time to. So the day came. Got out my notes from my new best friend at the IT place and thought, okay, let me follow them. I was amazed. Within 15 minutes, I had the whole thing set up and uh, it's, still working. it's still working today, which is just amazing. Um, when, you know what you, when you know that you're going to have to use what you're being taught or shown, then you pay attention. And in that process, you become equipped to do what you need to do as well. Now, imagine this morning, as you came in, I said to you, look, next week, as of tomorrow, I'm going into self-quarantine. Started to feel a few symptoms. Karen probably would have told me to go by now, but anyway. Just imagine she hadn't got to me. So, look, tomorrow I'm going into quarantine. And actually, everyone on the worship team, we're all going into quarantine, but we're still meeting here next week. Uh, and I need some of you to actually stand up and do what I'm doing, do what they're doing, do what Steve and George are doing. And uh, I'll let you know which of you are doing what after the service. Well, I can tell you right now, you'd be scrambling for your phone, for your iPad, for your notepad, taking down notes, thinking, well, he could ask me to do that next week. Uh, and uh, you might even get the scene and just write a few things in the column in case you've been asked to do one of those jobs. But because many of us are not expecting to use what we hear next week or in the next couple of years, often we don't sort of engage with what we're learning or what we're hearing. Or we might think, oh yeah, I'll hear this same topic again in a year's time. And so we don't give as much attention to it as, as we need to. But we need to, uh, we need to actually give more attention in case we, or for when we are actually um, called upon to use what we're learning. To be a fruitful church, we all need to be equipped to play our part, to play our role. And so Paul and Barnabas realised that they had limited time and so they taught the Antiochans uh, and equipped them to be servants from day one. The community of believers in Antioch realised that they would be on their own after a while as Paul and Barnabas would eventually move on and so we're told that after one year in their church, people were ministering in different ways. It wasn't just Paul and Barnabas who were ministering. Simeon and Lucius and Manain and others were using the gifts that uh, they had and the skills they had to serve God and serve the community in which they lived. Now you might come to this church and you might think, oh, 
It's only the pastor that serves. But if, you, but if our calling to follow Christ is also a call to service, like Bishop Azaria um, told the, new, the people who were being baptised, then we all need to then be equipped to do that. So then what does that mean practically? Well, for one, it means you need to be responsible yourself for engaging with what you're hearing and what you're seeing people do. So you might take notes. You might seek to apply what you've heard to your life. There's a general rule in education that uh, if you really want to learn something, then you should try and teach it to someone else as soon as you've learnt it. Pass it on. We also need to get out of being passive learners, just receiving. We need to begin or, or increase, encourage ourselves to read our Bibles ourselves or listen to it online uh, and then talk about it with others. There are literally thousands of helps today available to help you engage with Scripture. You can get many different translations on your phone. You can get a free Bible app that, that, um, that you can listen to. Uh, there are many books available. There's so many books available from every topic you can imagine, from uh, understanding your spiritual gifts to, to how to start a life group or a youth group. Friends, I want to suggest that uh, I want to say to you that my role as your pastor is not to do all the ministry in the church. And, and I know that I'm not doing that right now. There are so many people involved already. And nor is it to be actually be at every activity that we do in the church. I physically can't do that. I believe that a major part of my role is to equip our community for service, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, where Jesus said he gave gifts of apostles, um, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers to train and equip Christians for servant work, for ministry within the Christian community and to those outside it. Part of my role is to help you discern what your gifts are where you, and where you can best serve God using your passions, your skills and your talents to help and help you be equipped for doing that. Rick Warren in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, says that God shapes each of us uh, for the assignments that he has for us. And ultimately God will help us or will equip us with whatever we need to do the job or to play the role that God has us in his community. And because each one of you is unique, God has made each of us uh, different. And so our combination of capabilities is really our shape. It's who we are in God. And so who you are in God is a combination of your spiritual gifts that God has given you uniquely or your heart's desire. What is it that you're passionate about? It's the abilities that you have. Uh, it's your personality type. It's the experiences that you've actually had over your life. These are what make you who you are and these should be utilised for the service of our King. And so there are plenty of ways to use your shape here at Mooney Ponds Baptist Church. You can serve on the sound desk. We're trying to start a crèche uh, to, help, to help with the younger families that are here. There's opportunities to serve the communion, to be part of the worship team. There's opportunities to be a cook or to chat with people at the community meal. There's, now we've got a new coffee machine. There are opportunities to serve people coffee using the new machine. I'll be first in line every week. 
That's a great ministry where we feel, make people feel welcome and we can have a chat with them after church. There's opportunities to host a small group or a home group in your home. There's opportunities to lead a Bible study. There are more opportunities to serve in this church than there are people at this point. There are opportunities to translate our messages in some, some of the languages of people that live in our community that, that can't access them. And there are many more. Friends, I suggest we want to stop thinking, I could never do what they are doing and replace it with the thought, I need to learn to do that. Perhaps even asking people, can you show me how to do that? And therefore all of us need to step up and seek equipping because we're a church in which everyone is called to be involved in ministry. So my encouragement today is to begin by asking God to show you your shape, to begin the process of being a servant of God in this community. The final way that uh, we see the Antiochian church being a disciple-making community is that they did not seek to retain people whom they equipped. But they released them and sent them out in the service of Jesus. The Antiochian church was a kingdom-orientated community and I believe we need to be kingdom-orientated as well. Kingdom orientation means that we always have a concern for the spread of God's kingdom throughout the world and not just for our own growth here. And this attitude I think we can see clearly in the Antiochian church because they actually didn't seek to retain Paul and Barnabas as their pastors and teachers. You see, they actually, they actually listened to the voice of the Holy Spirit who told them Paul and Barnabas should be sent away on an assignment that God had for them. And so they were willing to release their best and their brightest for service of the king and for the extension of God's kingdom. Friends, fruitfulness will not be measured ultimately by our church growing bigger numerically. It will be measured by the number and the quality of the servants that we make, equip and send out as disciple makers of Jesus to work in God's kingdom. This is how I am going to measure success in the years to come. By the people who we can point to that we've sent out from this community who will be involved in other ministries so that people, other people can have the opportunity to encounter Jesus and follow him and love him as well. We shouldn't be asking, well, how many preachers, pastors or youth workers do we need here at Mooney Ponds Baptist Church? But how many does the world need? We need to consider how many children's ministry leaders, musicians, evangelists, administrators, Bible study leaders, community meal organisers does the world need. And when we do this, we'll change the purpose of our church from being just a destination to being a launch pad community. You see, Disneyland and Cape Canaveral are two places in the United States that most of us have heard of. Some of us might have even visited them. Probably one of them. One of them is a fun destination. The other is a launching pad to reach the stars. And our church, Mooney Ponds Baptist Church, needs to be a launch pad because Jesus has called us to reach the world and not just be a destination place here at Mooney Ponds. Now you might think, but if we send our brightest and best away, 
how are we going to survive? Well, I know it, sound, it sounds weird, but it's actually counterintuitive because actually by discipling, equipping and sending people out, it actually keeps us alive. It keeps us fresh and it actually enables us to grow. And I believe if we don't do, the, do that, if we do the opposite, then I believe that eventually we'll become lifeless and die. A number of years ago, uh, Wendy, the lads and I went to Israel. And we went to also to Jordan. And uh, we went down all around Israel and Jordan and we, we went to the Lake of Galilee and we went to the Dead Sea. And so the Lake of Galilee is in sort of the north of Israel and it's this quite a beautiful lake. It's a freshwater lake and it's got lots of fish. And we read about the Lake of Galilee quite often in the gospel stories. It's the scene of many stories and of fishing and Jesus doing amazing miracles and so forth in that place. But the Dead Sea is salty and dead. It's very different. But the two are actually joined together by the Jordan River. You see, water flows into the Lake of Galilee and it flows out again into the River Jordan and then into the Dead Sea. The, the Dead Sea is so salty you can't even open your eyes in it. I found out the hard way. It stings like crazy. Uh, but the Dead Sea is dead and lifeless because it receives fresh water, but it doesn't have any outflow. It doesn't let anything out. The only water that leaves the Dead Sea is actually via evaporation, going upwards. Many churches, I believe, are like the Dead Sea. People only leaving, going upwards. Churches like those will die themselves because they only receive and they don't see the importance of sending people out equipped into ministry. Friends, what is our purpose? Well, it's not just to have a comfortable life or to become or to be part of a great community until we die. Our purpose as a church, as a church, is ultimately not to put on great events each week or each year or ultimately to become a really large congregation. In fact, as I mentioned in one of my first messages in this series, that that's what Jesus cursed the fig tree for, for just becoming big. We need to take note from the Antioch Church's playbook, which was to produce servants for ministry and to send them out into the world. To grow to be a church of three to 400 people is too limited a vision, my friends. We want to impact tens of thousands. And the way that we can do this is by equipping and sending people out to start other groups, other churches, who will in turn have the same goal. This is the way we'll obey the Great Commission and be servants of the King Most High. And I believe that this is how we'll measure our success over the next 10 years. And I believe that this should be the focus of our prayer and the focus of our ministry here at Mooney Ponds. Let's pray together. Father God, we want to thank you for your word, for the church in Antioch, which uh, has many characteristics that we see as important to becoming a fruitful church. Lord, I pray that you would help us to engage with what we've heard over the past few weeks, that we would seek to apply these to our lives personally and to our lives corporately. Lord, help us to think about how each of us can serve you. Help us to think about how we can be equipped, what we need to do ourselves to be involved in that. Help us to consider how we 
can say yes to serving you according to the skills, gifts, personality and experiences that we've had. Lord, I pray that you continue to speak to us and encourage us during this time that we can be servants of yours even at this time in the trying situation that we find ourselves in. I pray that you would lead us now by your Holy Spirit as we consider that.